Welcome. I am Aaron Giesbrecht, head QB trainer and owner of Big Air Academy, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. And you are tuned in to my podcast called Talking QBs with Coach Gies, a podcast dedicated to the Canadian quarterback and offensive football. And today on my 24th episode, I have head coach of the Manitoba Fearless, Mr. Brett McFarlane, and linebacker for the Manchester Titans, Isabel McDonald. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Good, good. Yeah, thank you for having us. No problem. I'm glad to be talking ball with you guys today. It's been uh, supreme boredom lately as we're all going through. Yeah. So, <laughs> guys, I want to lead in this week. Uh, Julio Jones, I don't know if you guys saw, but uh, on live TV, Shannon Sharp called him and kind of started asking him about his situation in Atlanta. You know, Julio ended up saying something along the lines of, you know, I'm out of there kind of thing. And uh, there's been a lot of talk about that this week in terms of his did he actually know that Shannon was calling him ahead of time? Did Shannon just kind of, you know, put him on blast in front of everybody, that kind of thing? So what do you guys think about that? Would you be pissed off as the athlete if somebody did that to you? Uh, yeah, actually, I would. I uh, Especially if it's uh, coming from a friend. Like, you, you don't think he's going to be calling you on, on uh, you know, live television and asking you a personal question like that. So I think he believed that it was just, he was just talking to Shannon, and, you know, um, you know, if, if he knew he was on live television, I think he he would have obviously made a different comment. But, uh, yeah, I don't think I would have been too pleased with the uh, Shannon show. I agree with Brad. I was a little bit shocked when I was watching it at first. No, I definitely think uh, Shannon kind of broke that trust barrier with Jones because, yeah, some of those conversations are definitely meant to be private, not <laughs> aired on national television. But, yeah, no, I definitely would not be very happy about it. Both your guys' NFL teams have kind of been talked about as uh, potential landing spots for Julio Jones. Uh, Brett, you're a Cowboys guy. I don't know what the likelihood of that actually happening is, but uh, if uh, somehow Jerry Jones pulls the trigger there, how do you feel about that? How do you how do you see Julio maybe fitting into the offense? That's a really good question. I, I think they already have, you know, they got Lamb, they got Cooper and Gallup, yeah. and, uh, you know, Blake Jarwin's coming back from his year uh, off injury. And I... I uh, I don't know where he, I think he'd play, obviously, like he'd, he'd start for sure. But then I just, I wonder if there, there's only one ball and, you know, it's it's hard to try to spread it around. But on the other side, the financial side, I, I don't think they have the money to kind of get a contract built that, uh, I don't know, I guess would be suited for him. I think that they're kind of, they're going to be really tied now with the Dak Prescott uh, contract. And so, yeah, I don't know how much how much money they have left in the piggy bank to spread around to a big name like him. Yeah, that's a great point. They don't have a lot of cap room and money left over, so that uh, would definitely play into it. How about uh, you, Isabel? The Pats are apparently Vegas odds-on favorite to get them as of right now. You guys obviously need a, a number one receiver. What do you think about adding Julio to the lineup? I think overall I'd be pretty happy with him. I know they talked about his injuries and that, so that's a little bit worrisome. But we need someone to replace Julian Edelman. With the NFL draft happening a few weeks back, you guys picked up Mac Jones. How do you see that situation kind of playing out with the quarterbacks? I was so happy <laughs> when they drafted Mac Jones. I, like, I'm a big Bama fan, and I loved watching him play. Yeah, no, that night I was at the, the draft night. I was at um, the gym, mm -hmm. and um, my dad was watching the draft. And as soon as I got home, they got to the 15th pick with the Pats, and he paused it and waited for me to get into the house. And then they played it, and they did, and we freaked out. We were so happy. But I definitely don't think he's going to start. I think they're going to give it to Cam Newton, as, as they should. I think it's Cam's year this year. 
Yeah, that's kind of what everybody's saying right now, that they're going to give Cam the go for it. Uh, his arm the last couple of years is not the same. So apparently he's been working on that and he's been getting healthier. But if he can't throw the ball, Mac Jones is going to be in there sooner than later, right? So, like, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, how about you, Brett? Your quarterback, you just kind of made mention of Dak Prescott's big contract. He's coming off the broken leg. Um, I've always kind of been a big supporter of Dak. I like him. I think he's a good quarterback. What do you think about, you know, just his return and his big contract? I think if you look at how the Cowboys were playing with him just, you know, before he got his injury, like he was putting up like record numbers. I think he was like 400 yards per game. And he had, uh, I can't remember the exact total touchdowns he had, but like he, he was in total command of that offense. He deserves a contract like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's deserves the number one paid quarterback in the league, like highest paid. But yeah, like I, he does, he deserves some sort of good contract like that. So uh, hopefully, though, I I I hope it doesn't. Uh, you know, when players get their money, I don't. I won't say. Anything. Yeah, I'm thinking Ezekiel Elliott. He got his money, and then his production just went down. So a lot of times, you know, you find guys that they uh, they're working toward their their big payout contract, and then there's no motivation, uh, and then they kind of dip. I I don't think that's Dak's character. So I I think. Uh, I think he's earned it, uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do with a full year and a healthy offensive line with uh, Tyron Smith and, and Leo Collins actually back this year. Yeah, I think they're set up this year for much more success. I hope he has success coming back. I agree with you in terms of the contract. I, I have a really good friend that's a big Cowboys fan, and he's, he's sort of a Dak hater. He doesn't like the fact that Dak got all the money. And the thing with that is, like, you know, the next quarterbacks that are in line are going to get the next bigger contract, right? Like, it's not really so much about, like, how good of a QB he is or how he stacks up. It's just about kind of where he falls in right now with his contract and whatnot. We'll wait and see how that works out. Uh, interesting, Tim Tebow has been signed by Jacksonville as a, an apparent tight end. There was some footage this week of him playing tight end and running some routes and catching some balls. What do you guys think about Tim Tebow playing tight end for the Jags? Does he make the team? Is he actually going to play tight end? No, I think it's a really cool opportunity for him. And I think I think he's pretty much been brought on as more of like a mentor to like Lawrence and the guys. Because he's obviously spent a lot of time in the league and does so much. So I think I think he'll get some reps and he's obviously hopefully they can use him as a threat as quarterback. You never know. But no, I think it's really cool that he was able to come back. Well, I was a big Tebow fan uh, when he was at Florida, and I uh, actually have his book. Yeah, I'm a fan of Tebow. I, I just think he's a really stand-up guy. His uh, his leadership and, and work ethic is just second to none. So I, I like the fact that a lot of well, a lot of people think it's kind of like a publicity stunt, and there's a connection with Urban Meyer. But if you look at the contract that he got, it's that one year minimum salary and you know if something happens or gets injured or anything like that like there's no money like that's it so it's literally like prove yourself and um i think that'll kind of hush the people that are kind of saying it's like you know just that connection with urban meyer and this is a joke that he's actually able to come back after so much time off so i think that if he does make the roster it's by his own merit and it's not because of uh any connection that he had with Urban Meyer. I agree with you guys. I, I'm a big Tebow fan. I'm a Gators fan. So I, I've loved Tebow, obviously. Uh, that Even that year in Denver, as bad as he was at times, like I couldn't not watch the games. Like every game he'd make this miraculous comeback and it was like so captivating. Like, uh, I don't know. 
I agree that his quarterback play isn't, you know, on par to be a starting quarterback in the NFL and obviously why he hasn't been in the league. But uh, now how offenses are ran, running with like Taysom Hill, having packages for guys like that. I honestly think that the whole tight end thing is just sort of like, you know, let's put him there right now is something to do. But I really think down the line that that's, he's probably going to end up being that wildcat red zone quarterback for them running the ball. Right. And if that's the case, he'll probably be pretty good at that. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I hope the best for him too, because like what you said, he's such a stand up guy, right? He's uh, he's got really good morals. He's a high character person. So wish him all the best. Back at it for the second quarter with Isabel McDonald and Brett McFarlane. Isabel, back in 2016, I was uh, kind of a staff member on your Interlake Thunder team. I was coaching with your dad and Chris Johnson. It kind of just sort of happened. Yeah. Chris Chris had me show up to some practices. Hey, I need you to work with the quarterbacks. And that kind of formed into me being the OC. Anyway, that was it was an interesting year. There was a lot going on on that team. But, uh, <laughs> but we can maybe address some of that later. I'd like to get into your background and your childhood. Can you talk about just where you're from growing up in your family and uh, maybe some interests as a young kid? So um, I live in Woodlands, Manitoba. It's a, it's a very small town outside of Winnipeg. It's about uh, 50 minutes from the perimeter. And I grew up first playing ringette. Um, I loved it. I played it for uh, quite a few years. And then I got into like the baseball, softball. And then um, in about... 2012, um, I believe, my dad was on the Football Manitoba site because he was coaching with the uh, uh, Stone Rams high school team when they had one. Right. And he saw MJFA, like the Manitoba Girls Football Association. And he's like, do you want to try football? And I was like, you know what? Sure, let's go. So he took me and we went to Charles with Broncos. And that's kind of where my football kind of career started. Um, okay. So I played two years with the Charles with Broncos. And then after that, my dad and a couple of his buddies that he was with the Sonar Rams with, created the Interlake Thunder. And so that's when we created all the minor teams. So then I moved over to the Thunder and played two years Bantam football. And then I played two years Midget football. And then through those years, I played three years with our Thunder Girls senior team. And I was captain of the Bantam boys team. I was one of the defensive captains for both two, those two years. And then I was captain for all three years of um, the girls team. And with the girls team, I also won defensive MOP for all three years. And then I got to my last year of girls. And that's when I kind of decided to make the jump to fearless. And I love it. <laughs> Oddly enough, uh, I grew up in the same area as uh, Isabel. So we have Lands, Manitoba. I'm just a little bit further down the road uh, in a Place called Lake Francis, so it's, it's literally just a one road in and, and one road out uh, uh, stop. And I'm the youngest of uh, five boys, and um, we we grew up there. There's a hockey rink that, uh, well, I mean, not there anymore. I think it's a Bronco Arena or something like that. But uh, yeah, so it was it was a hockey arena, and we, me and my brothers grew up playing hockey and um, a really competitive household. Five boys, uh, so sports was paramount in the in the home and and you know watching sports could be football basketball um, you know hockey as i mentioned so uh yeah i started off playing hockey and then um i think uh my one of my second oldest brother uh trevor uh wanted to get into playing football and i remember we were uh my father took all five of us to um varsity blues 
And uh, after that movie, um, we went and got a football from Canadian Tire, and then we were we were hooked on football, uh, you know, after that. So, um, yeah, so that that was uh, kind of my uh, growing up uh, and introduction to football and and, and sports. Funny that uh, a movie can inspire you to kind of get going, right? I remember yeah. I, I remember being a youngster and actually watching uh, White Man Can't Jump, and then I was motivated to play basketball all summer. So yeah. Funny how a movie can do that for you. So when did you start playing football? Probably about nine years old, actually. We traveled quite a bit. My, my dad always kind of bounced from city to city. So I started playing uh, in, in Calgary, actually, for uh, a community uh, club team called the Rundle Broncos. Okay. And, uh, yeah, so I, I uh, played quarterback uh, back then. And then um, uh, I think I was playing linebacker or whatever, two-way sort of kid. You know, it's nine-man or whatever it was. I think it was nine-man at the time. But, uh yeah, so started playing football in Calgary, and then um, came back to Winnipeg. Um, played for Fort Gary Lions, I think, for a year when I was about twelve, mm-hmm. and and I don't think I played again till uh, JV at, at Grand Park High School, which was grade eight going into uh, nine. We ended up moving again down to Southern California, and I played uh, at grade nine. Going in, yeah, grade nine to grade 10 year in uh, Plum Valley High School in Menifee, California. Came back, uh, finished at Grand Park High School. Yeah, I played quarterback, uh, running back, defensive back. Uh, and then I uh, ended up getting uh, recruited by Coach Doby at uh, the particular game. I think it was uh, Churchill. We were playing Churchill, and it was the, the year they won that 2008 final. Okay. Um, so we played them in the semis. He ended up being a guest coach on the sideline. And so uh, I guess he noticed me, and then uh, that was kind of where my recruiting trail took off and ended up at uh, University of Manitoba, mm-hmm. and I was there from 2010 to 2015, and uh, I played four years at uh, halfback, so I think three years a week half, one strong half, and uh, my last year is Sam, uh, linebacker. How did you find that adjustment in your last year to play Sam? You know, it was, it was difficult, especially because uh, – <laughs> The most of what I was exposed to uh, or learning about uh, was it's dictated by the offenses. So there's a lot of 32, 23. And mm-hmm. so Sam would always travel with three. Um, and so most of the coverages are kind of like geared toward that. And so that's what my experience was. And then all of a sudden that year, I remember the trend was to have uh, one tight end or two tight end sets. And then, uh, you know, everybody was utilizing having their, you know, the number one receiver in space with uh, the tight end of the line and they could waggle freely. So, right. um, yeah, so it was, it was a different perspective um, just in that. And then just learning the position in, uh, in a year. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're, you're learning it like you know it, but you don't really because you haven't walked through the steps, right? You, right. you haven't gone through the progression of it and the reads and everything. So, uh, yeah, it was a little difficult, but, um, I feel like if I would have had a little bit more time, I think it would have been uh, a little bit better at it. Yeah. But I mean, it, it was still fun. Still a lot of fun to be in the box. Yeah. I like the honesty just about the, you know, the difficulty in the transition that you're right. Like as a halfback, you obviously know what the Sam's doing, right? Like assignment wise within right. your defense, but just the fact of not doing it yourself, right? You got to walk through it and learn it yourself and it takes time. And yeah. So I think that's really honest. I like that. I want to kind of talk about mentors. So I was really fortunate growing up. I had a number of mentors. Uh, today, even as a QB coach, I have a couple of mentors that really, really helped me. Jay Prepchuk in uh, BC is like my number one guy. 
super helpful, like the greatest guy ever. I'm interested, uh, and Isabel, I'll start with you. Who are some of your mentors in, in the game and maybe in life? Well, obviously my dad, he's been with me since day one with football and he's taught me everything I know. He's gotten to this point. I wouldn't be doing anything <laughs> right now without him. He's been a, my biggest supporter through all of it. And then Julie Sprague, she's now my teammate, but she used to coach me on the Thunder teams. Mm -hmm. And I just, I remember just learning from her and she is such a student of the game and just, yeah, I just, I, I love listening to her talk <laughs> and just having her and my dad talk football together. It's just, I could listen to it for hours. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, to give thanks back to your dad. Your dad's an awesome guy. We were chatting the other day about uh, what you're going to be doing shortly. So, uh, you know, it's yeah. good to reconnect with him and the time that I spent coaching with him. I really enjoyed that time as well. Brett, how about you? Who are your mentors in the game and in life? I think the person that's the biggest impact on me uh, would be Stan Pierre. Just learning um, so much from him, just about the game and understanding all offenses, understanding defenses and coverages, and being disciplined. Like, everything that I have learned from him is what I coach now. And so, yeah, he's, uh, he's probably the biggest uh, contributing factor to me wanting to be a coach. And then um, just, you know, it, like, I always compare if you go to U of M and you learn from him and you're like a defensive player, like it's, it's the equivalent of getting a master's in, in football. And, you know, if you pay close attention enough and if you learn enough and if you're really engaged in it, then, you know, it's, uh, yeah, you can, you can really get that out of uh, your experience and your time there. And so, yeah, just learning from him and then taking it and applying it to uh, coaching Isabel, for example, and, you know, high school football, you know, it makes me, um, I'm very happy that I chose to go to U of M and that, uh, yeah, just working with him and, and uh, yeah, learning from him. So impactful person in my playing career, coaching career. So many people give him thanks and, and talk about just the genius of Stan Pierre, how smart he is, uh, how complex the defense is at times. You know, lots of people said that it's a little bit more complex than maybe some pro pro defenses. But, uh, you know, nonetheless, so many players have played under him that have played pro Right. Obviously, the guy knows what he's doing. He's super smart. So pretty cool to give back. Thanks to him as well. Back at it for the third quarter with head coach Brett McFarland and linebacker Isabel McDonald. So, Brett, me and you, uh, we got to team up a little bit and work with Pro Prep Academy. Uh, DJ Lalama, Andrew Harris put uh, together a football academy that a bunch of us coaches are involved in. We were able to run phase one camp that ended about a month ago. Uh, lots of success, lots of fun. What do you like about working with Pro Prep? I, I think it was uh, a great thing, like a, a great program that DJ and, and Andrew uh, came together to create. I, I particularly liked uh, just having the kids out in a, in a pandemic year uh, when there's been no football. I guess right. I was going to say a little bit no football, but there has been none. So just being able to work with kids again, just being able to coach, and just been uh, missing uh, having that coaching part of uh, um, my life been uh, it's been taken out so having it back was great and then uh just you know working with guys such as yourself like um uh, sean alexwich uh dj uh, eric vincent and all the guys that i'm familiar with and and um yeah like just to have them uh, bring something together and bring all of us together and allow us to coach and instill our knowledge and uh to kids and you know give an opportunity to just get better at the sport and, and just enjoy being able to play football and, and not have to worry about um, you know, every all this outside distractions of COVID and the year that we've been having. So 
Right. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think for me, once we were out there, I just kind of had that kind of epiphany moment where I was like, I'm just grateful to be out here that we're actually doing something football related where it's, you know, it's doing what we love to do. So, uh, you know, it's pretty awesome, pretty special. Unfortunately, obviously with the restrictions, things are on pause right now, but hopefully we'll be able to get back rolling for the summer before, uh, before the fall kicks in. Um, but Brett, I want to get into your coaching background. So were you interested in coaching like as a player? Did you think as a player, Hey, you know, down the road, I'll probably end up coaching. Was that something in your mind? You know what? Yeah. I, I mean, it was, I think the first experience that I had with, uh, helping or coaching would be, I think they had the Bison ID camp through U of M. And I remember Stan was asking, you know, who would like to come out and who would like to help out. And so I, I remember I was just like, you know what? Yeah, sure. Like I'll, I'll volunteer. Sure. And, um, yeah, like I, I ended up, uh, I, I remember, I think it was either Scali or it was a team session. And I, I remember coaching, I can't remember the kid's name in particular, but uh, I had taught him, I think it was something related to hold coverage for the half. And he ended up doing um, it, the exact thing that was taught in Indy. And then it, uh, I think he got an interception or a big breakup. And I was so thrilled. Like I was more pumped up than he was. Yeah. And, yeah, and so I, I think at that point I was like, man, this is awesome. Like I, I think like I need to do this. Like this, this is a lot of fun. And uh, so that's kind of what catapulted me into my coaching career. And then in, in 2014, my fiance right now, she uh, she was part of the Fearless. I think in 2013, and then she continually tried to get me out to just to practice, just to you know, check it out. And, um, I always kind of was hesitant. I was like, Oh, well, women's football. I'm like, well, what kind of like, what is it going to be like? And mm-hmm. so I was always hesitant. So thankful that she actually continued to nudge me toward it. And so I ended up going to a practice and, you know, right away I ended up starting helping with indie drills and, and, you know, uh, you know, installing part of the defense and stuff. And so at, at that point that just took me right through and I, I've been with the fearless, uh, since, I also uh, have been coaching high school football, so uh, Grand Park High School right now, uh, defensive coordinator there. Uh, I was a JV coordinator in 2018. They went to the finals then. And then I also had stops at uh, Sisler as well, so I was the uh, offensive coordinator, or I guess co-offensive coordinator, I should say, with uh, current head coach, Sean Hesselmont, and uh, uh, Mitchell Harrison would have been part of that staff too, and a uh, former teammate and friend of mine, Zach Sandaleski, as well. So, yeah, like I, I mean, I've, I've had experience coaching on both sides of the ball, but uh, I would have to say that um, just the, the defensive side is more natural, uh, I guess, to me, and um, yeah, just with the background with uh, being coached by Stamp here and having, having learned um, you know, the systems for uh, you know, five or six years with him. And, and I think that's kind of pushed me toward uh, staying on the defensive side of the ball. But yeah, so that's where I started. And then um, currently, yeah, currently at Grand Park High School. Okay, very cool. Yeah, I would think that the background in playing both offense and defense and then coaching offense and defense is probably a huge asset to you just in terms of being a defensive guy, being able to recognize offensive tendencies and just picking up on little, you know, simplicities of the offense. Isabel, so after you were done playing for the Thunder, you obviously made the choice to uh, to go and play for the Fearless. I'm just interested about that. Obviously, there is another team in town. Uh, why Fearless? I was involved with the Fearless for a couple of years before I went. I was. They always asked me to come be their water girl. I was went to a couple of their workouts before. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, I've, I've always known, been like, it's Fearless. <laughs> Pretty much since I started playing, I was like, I'm moving to the fearless. Like, there's no, no, there's no other option. Um, 
And yeah, when I decided to make that move from Thunder, it was definitely tough, but um, I needed more competition. And I like, I don't want to sound cocky, but I definitely was feeling that I was just settling. Mm -hmm. And that is something I've always told myself I never want to do. And I definitely needed that new competition. And that's exactly what I got when I got to the fearless. <laughs> I remember like, yeah, Coach Brett teaching me what a pull was. I had never known what that was. Okay. And I'm still trying to learn it and react to it well. But um, no, I know he says that to me a lot. Oh, what what just happened? I'm like, yeah, no idea. I think uh, there was a pull. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's super funny. Unfortunately, you had uh, kind of a big injury. Yeah. Yeah. My so first year game <laughs> so what was what was the injury uh acl tear acl tear so how did yeah. how did you manage that year with rehab and all that kind of stuff how did you mentally kind of take on that challenge it was tough um, yeah because that was my first game with the fearless i was 17 i was the youngest girl on the team i was only under 18 girl and so I was already scared. And then so going into that game, Brett was about to put me in. <laughs> I remember it vividly, Brett being, okay, you're ready to go in. I said, yeah, let's go. And then I went on for special teams and I tore it mm. and I was devastated. Um, I never really knew injury before that, like that has been to date my biggest injury um, and knock on wood, it's my only injury. Um, but yeah, I never really knew how to deal with any of that like the season before I broke my hand but I kept playing I just phoned it up and I just kept going so being told I was out for the season it was it was tough um but luckily I have incredibly supportive parents that did everything for me and I definitely in that year that nine months I created such a great support system and it definitely helped having my team behind me I know I was getting text messages all the time asking how I was doing and the day after surgery they sent me flowers and um and yeah it was it was hard <laughs> I'm not gonna sugarcoat it it was hard um but I got through it and nine months post-op I was full-on tackling it, which I missed <laughs> a lot. In terms of your rehab, were you, uh, I heard you were rehabbing, well, you're rocking the shirt, the pro player, you. Yeah. <laughs> You've uh, spent some time working with Mike Benson. Talk about working with him. He's great. Um, I worked with him the year prior of tearing my ACL. Okay. So he already kind of knew me. And then, um, and then I tore it. And then when he got back and we got right into rehab and him and my physiotherapist Kelsey from Corey Physio has definitely they they got me back to a hundred percent before the season. They could they <laughs> I owe it all to them. I for sure I couldn't have done it on my own. Um, they they were just amazing through the whole thing. And the knee feels good now. You're all good. It's a hundred percent. That's good. Sometimes those things, you know, linger. So it's glad I'm glad to hear. Okay, so guys, full transparency here. I am I don't have a whole lot of knowledge about women's football. Okay. So just in terms of I'm interested in just some of the basics for the audience that's listening. Brett, can you talk about uh, you know, just how many players are on the field, who who's in the league, what is the league, how many teams, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so, uh, well, I mean, just the basic, it, it's the same standard rules as uh, the CFL game or, or amateur, um, you know, uh, football in, in Manitoba. So okay. it's 12 on 12. The rules are all the same. Like, I, I, there's not much difference at all. Like, it's it's, okay. uh, it's a fun game. Yeah. And, and as, as for the league, so we play across the prairies. Well, I guess I should say uh, Regina and uh, Saskatoon have a team. So there's the Saskatoon Valkyrie and then there's the Regina Riot. 
And then uh, we typically play, well, and then I guess, sorry, there's the Winnipeg Wolfpack, uh, and then there's us, the Manitoba Fearless. But then there's also teams uh, that had just started popping up in, in Alberta. So Edmonton, I think they're the Storm, um, and again, just recent, uh, but then I know Calgary Rage uh, mm-hmm. is another one that uh, has, has come up. And, and for the life of me, I can't remember the name of the guy who's uh, the head coach there. He uh, he played for the Calgary Stampeders. Wes Lysak, that's who it was. Oh, West, West yeah. So he's a head coach there, yeah, and um, and I, I know there's teams out in in uh, Quebec as well. I think Montreal Blitz. Sorry, there we go. Okay. <laughs> so you can see, yeah, like it's and I'm there's there's teams in Ontario too. It's cross Canada, right? So I mean, it, it's it's pretty competitive. Like I think I had, I had mentioned uh, when my my fiance uh, at the time, a girlfriend had said, you know, just come out and check it out, and I was kind of a little hesitant about it because I didn't know what I was going to do just as the same question you're asking, right? Mm-hmm. So you're kind of like, well, what kind of quality were you looking at, right? So uh, I had gone to a game um, before I started coaching. I was like, well, like, this is actually, like, this isn't a joke. Like, this is this is like real football here. So, okay. so like, for example, uh, Regina has, uh, I think, about 75-player uh, um, roster. Yes. They've got about 12, 15 coaches. They've got a whole uh, athletic staff. I mean, uh, Saskatoon, I, I believe that their coaching staff, it may have changed uh, in the past couple of years, but when we were playing, their staff is the same staff as the CGFL, the uh, Saskatoon Hilltops. So, mm-hmm. yeah, like, and, you know, they got guys in the booth, they got headsets, uh, they're all matching on the sidelines. Like, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really competitive and, um, you know, it's, it's growing every year, it seems, up and up until COVID happened, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, like, it's, it's really competitive football. Uh, you know, we're always looking to add, uh, add, add girls on and, and, um, you know, we're looking to add, advertised to to uh, former athletes at uh, university that maybe you know they played volleyball or sure. any other like a uh, sport in, in in university right so any type of track athlete but mm-hmm. so we've been getting some of those that uh, have been coming out to the manitoba fearless since my uh, time the, when i started to now we have become a lot more competitive too so uh, regina and saskatoon typically are the teams two teams that will win or battle for the um WWCFL uh, yeah. championship and so our last two years we've uh we've come we beat Regina our first game it was the first time ever so we, we ended up winning 34-9 and, and up right. until that point um, I mean I think it started in 2011 and uh it's yeah up until that point you know what we hadn't beaten the fearless or, or any Winnipeg team I should say have, has not or hadn't beaten um any of the uh, Saskatchewan teams and so yeah so that was a big feat and so um you know, it's just a, a part of uh, the building of the program, how far we've come uh, competitively. And uh, every time we play those two teams now, it, it's very uh, evenly matched. Yeah, like it's it's really exciting. Um, looking forward to seeing how we uh, continue to progress as a program, continue to recruit girls and, and uh, you know, hopefully sometime soon end up getting that uh, championship banner. You know, it, it is pretty cool. Over the years, I've just kind of, you know, loosely been paying attention and it seems like just the excitement of the women's football seems like it's really improved. It's, uh, and what you're talking about in terms of the league seems like it's growing and there's teams kind of popping up everywhere. So that's super exciting and I think awesome for, for young uh, young women to play football. Isabel, to talk about the 2019 season, uh, you come back off the injury. Can you talk about your experience playing that season, how it went, and uh, just maybe talk about some some of your better moments? Um, that season, I personally did not think I had the greatest season. I definitely wasn't 
at where I wanted to be. Um, and I know I'm quite hard on myself, so I've heard differently, but, um, but overall I came in and I was a rookie again, which is not what I wanted to do personally. I wanted to like come in and be a part of the team, but I was still rehabbing at that point. I couldn't even wear cleats <laughs> for a couple months before the season. And I was proving myself again. And I was proving to myself personally that I deserved to be on the team. Um, and that was definitely what I was going through that preseason was just like, I can do it. I can get there. Just got to get there. And um, a week before our preseason game with um, uh, the Wolf Pack, my physio cleared me to go. She almost didn't clear me to play in that game. But I think that was a big turning point in my season was actually being able to play in that very first game. And I messed up my very first play. I will never forget that play. <laughs> and then, I mean, I think the rest of the game went pretty well. I don't know Coach Brett's opinion, but. <laughs> and then, yeah, the season, like, I know I, I did good that season and having the team behind me and just, yeah, the team support was just incredible and I can't thank them enough for it. I definitely wish I personally would have done better. That's my first season, my first real season with the Fearless. But I know I'm, I'm tough on myself, so. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure you had as many good moments as you had bad moments. So uh, don't be too hard on yourself. But uh, you know what I like? I like how you're talking about you know just the kind of the self talk of being on the field and kind of you know being unsure of yourself. But sometimes our inner thoughts can kind of negatively consume us, right? So I like to hear that yeah. you know you're telling yourself you can do this, you're going to do this, right? Like it, it. It's a lot about what you're talking to yourself about. So. I think that's uh, super important. Uh, you know, Brett, just to end off the quarter here, I'd just like to talk about just, you know, the difference in coaching women's football to coaching boys or males. Uh, obviously, you do both. Um, I've had a limited experience. I, I was able to attend a couple different camps uh, working with women and uh, being able to actually train your quarterback, Maddie Sawicki, a little bit, uh, which has been awesome. One of the things I noticed right off the get-go is like females are a lot more like thankful of your coaching. So it, it's actually kind of a nice surprise. Like after the workout, when, when they come up and they're like, oh, thank you so much. And, you know, really appreciate it. Like the guys are just kind of like, yeah, I'm out of here, you know, whatever kind of deal. So uh, I don't know if you've experienced that yourself, but uh, yeah. So what do you like about coaching women and, and just in comparison to coaching boys? I think the, the biggest factor, I mean, as you, you kind of nail it on the head is that when they're there, like they, they want to be there and they want to learn yeah. and they're invested. In it. And so you can give them any drill that you want and they're going to do it to the best of their capability because like they're invested, like they're there for, uh, to, to learn about the game and it's so new to them and it's so exciting for them. I think the difference between coaching, um, uh, women compared to men, I, I, there's not really, I think it's more to do with a person. I, I really, as I progress coaching both, I, I think it's uh, I think it's just about the person. I, I will say though, girls think more of like they want to understand the, the whole puzzle before they understand just their piece, right? And right. so, I, I think when you're teaching um, uh, teenagers, I mean, because coaching high school football, yeah. right? That's my experience. So when you're when you're coaching male high school football players it's very much what do i do first mm -hmm. and then it, it expands to what's the whole right and understanding the whole of what you're doing system wise and i think sometimes it's a challenge for for girls to just um focus on what's my job first mm -hmm. i do my job and then i focus on 
what you know uh, Lisa, Sally, and Sue are doing, right? Like so, um, that would be a, a a bit of a difference. But I, you know what? The other thing is because they're uh, coaching high school football boys, uh, the maturity level between uh, and Isabella seventeen as compared to. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I'm not using a boy's name, but uh, a Joe or whatever. It's 17, uh, totally different mindset and totally different maturity level. And so uh, as a coach, you appreciate it because, you know, uh, they're, they're more mature at that age and I value it. And so I think that's, uh, that's a big difference between the two. And then also, uh, yeah, they just, uh, girls want to know, they're very detail oriented in, in the sense that were my experience. So mm-hmm. they, I like it in the sense they want to know the why behind it. So more, if you could just, I mean, you could tell, and I've had this conversation with uh, many other like different guys that have had experience coaching uh, girls and boys. And uh, you know, you could just tell a boy, okay, here's what you're doing, go and do it. And they'll just do it. Whereas I like, sometimes with girls, they'll, you know, if you, if you have a drill, they want to know, well, why am I doing this drill? How is this helping me? progress and what you're asking me to do and i think that's one of the best things that an athlete can ask you as a coach mm-hmm. because it, it really challenges you to first off well, you you need to know the answers as to why you're why? doing that drill yes. for the for the athlete right mm-hmm. and um you you know you can't just put things together and say okay go like you really you have to know your stuff and you have yes. to understand why you're asking them to do it. And then it's great that they're uh, very accountable in the sense that they want to know why they're doing it. And then, you know, they get a good understanding of, okay, I'm doing this because it's going to help me translate or this skill is going to help me translate to doing A, B, and C on the football field. Back at it for the fourth quarter with linebacker Isabel McDonald and head coach Brett McFarland. So guys, a player that was at Pro Prep with us just recently and a guy I've been working with for a while at Big Air Academy, a quarterback, Zach Topping from River East, just announced this week that he has signed with Canada Prep to go play high school football this fall. Isabel, you've got kind of a, a big opportunity, a big announcement. Uh, can you tell my audience where you're going to play football? Going across the pond to uh, Manchester, England in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of all started back in about December when it kind of first started looking like we weren't going to have a WWCFL season. So I kind of started to pursue England um, as I am a dual citizen. My mom was born there. So that's kind of all where it started. And I contacted um, the Manchester Titans and they said, yeah, come on down. I told them that I couldn't make for sure plans quite yet because I wanted to make sure that my fearless team wasn't going to have a season. And then once I talked to um, like Coach Brett and uh, Lisa Cummings, our general manager, they both said, no, go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They said they didn't think we were going to have a season either. So they said, no, go ahead. So that was a big weight off my shoulders hearing them say that I could go. Um, And they were okay with me going. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I made the commitment and I leave on June 4th. That's awesome. And in terms of the league that you're playing in, what do you know about it? Is there multiple teams? Are you kind of playing all over England? How does that work? We play all, all over England and some teams in Scotland as well. Okay. Um, but with COVID, the league wanted to condense it. So we'll be playing against three other teams and they're like little divisions all across because the league didn't want us traveling an hour plus outside of our kind of like home base. So there won't be any Scotland trips this year, unfortunately. But yeah, so I'll be playing against three other teams two or three times each. 
and then we'll kind of have like a, a winner out of all that. Gotcha. So it sounds like, you know, pretty much a full season worth of football, which will be excellent. Yeah, I miss football <laughs> a <Yeah>. lot. <laughs> so do we all. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Happy for you to be, uh, to have the opportunity to be able to do something, right? Uh, you know, Brett, kind of switching back to you, how do you feel about players like Isabel making a decision to leave the country or there's a bunch of guys in high school that are either going to play football in the States for, for uh, next year or, you know, as I alluded to with Zach, he's going to play, you know, in Canada for a prep school. What are your thoughts on the players needing to make a decision on that kind of stuff? Yeah, so I, I guess my response would be twofold. So first off, uh, I mean, kids want to play football, right? And yeah. if there's an, not an opportunity or there's a, a bleak opportunity that we'll be playing football here in Manitoba in the fall, then if you have an opportunity to go and play elsewhere, then, you know, like United States, why would you not, right? I mean, especially some of these kids are going into their grade 12 year. They haven't even had a year, like they missed a year of football in yeah. grade 11. So this is their their last opportunity to play uh, high school football. So if you have an opportunity and it's presented, like I don't blame them at all for wanting to go and, yeah. uh, you know, have an opportunity to play. And the second part about it is that with these uh, programs, uh, they have greater exposure to as every kid in high school, doesn't matter if you're Canada or the United States, you want to play NCAA Division One football, right? Yeah. And so that's every high school kid's dream. Um, and so, you know, to have uh, a greater opportunity to to uh, attain that dream or achieve it, then uh, I think that's a motivating factor for them as well. If we did have football uh, come fall, I would like to see some of those kids play in our uh, high school football league just because they're really good athletes and uh, it makes our, our uh, WHSFL uh, better, um, league better. So, but I mean, I understand it. Yeah, I understand why they would want to. Yeah, and I think just talking about the reality of the situation, like you said, about the kids that are, going to be grade 12s this is a coming year completely lost football last year they have no film no tape nothing right so you know you can't blame anybody for taking an opportunity to go play football when essentially they're going to an opportunity where you know they're being promised that there's going to be football there's going to be a season and unfortunately here locally we can't say that right now right so um, you know I get the conflict and you know the situation so players need to make a decision I, I I get that again switching gears here guys the CFL season as well has been delayed due to COVID uh, lots in the news this week about different provinces approving and others not and it's kind of being all over the place uh, obviously August is kind of like the tentative date of when the season may start what do you guys think about this season? Do you think there's going to be a CFL season? And, you know, how do you see things moving forward? Well, I mean, I really hope there is. I, Yeah, it's difficult because, like you said, it goes from province to province. And, you know, every province is dealing, it, uh, dealing with it uh, how they are. Um, I do think, though, that they, if the people continue to get vaccinated yes. uh, and those numbers continue to rise and um, uh, you know, the closer we get to uh, herd immunity within each province, uh, I think that it, it would be a way that they can say, they can justify and say, okay, yeah, we're going to go ahead with it. Mm -hmm. I think they need to start like, especially just from our lens here, Manitoba, like they need to start uh, kind of opening, <laughs> opening it up and because people, you know, they need stuff, they need things to do, they need things to go look forward to and sport for sure. And, and the CFL for sure is one of the 
biggest, um, you know, uh, every every province has their team, and that's that's their team they're cheering for, and that brings everybody together, sport and football. And so, uh, yeah, I think it'd be beneficial for, you know, the population of, of people in, in Canada just to have something, you know, football to look forward to. And, and um, I think once those vaccinations start, uh, people continue to uh, get vaccinated, I think that uh, they'll be able to, I think they should, uh, be able to open it up. And even if you put some of these uh, players, if you have them in a bubble, I mm-hmm. guess, if you will, and then like the NHL did, yeah, uh, similar, you know, then they should be able to uh, manage with that, I think. I, I don't know if they can handle another year without it. Um, Right. That's, that's the problem. I, uh, I agree with just the fact that, you know, like we're all missing football and be great to have some form of football in some way. Uh, you know, and, and you're right about the vaccines. We, we need to push the vaccines and so that we can, you know, have butts in the seats and, you know, that kind of stuff. The other thing too, though, and I'm surprised that, you know, maybe this uh, hasn't happened in the past, but, uh, just talking to some buddies, like, Obviously, we probably won't be able to fill the stadiums even this fall if we are allowed to have people back in them. Uh, I don't understand why the CFL wouldn't kind of adopt something like Can West has or like pay-per-view style where maybe you can purchase a pass for the Bombers or purchase the CFL pass and, and pay to help support the league. Uh, maybe that doesn't cover, you know, everything, but I would think that, you know, a lot of us, you know, loyal Canadians would probably have no problem paying monthly for, for the CFL pass or for your own team's pass, right? So maybe there's other ways that they can kind of generate some money. Isabel, what are your thoughts on the CFL being delayed? It, it sucks um, if they can't go with their August start date. But yeah, I hope I hope so. I'd love to even, even with me being in England, I would still love to watch the Bombers um, and see people play. And I think as a community, we all need sports. Like even if it's playing chess, like mm-hmm. people need to socialize and be around other people we can't it sucks being locked up with my family someday <laughs> and I'm sure people can um like agree with me I think we need and being the bomber community that we are I think we need to get together somehow and just getting people back on the field I think needs to happen but <laughs> if it will we don't know yeah it would have been nice if we could have rode the train of our great cup championship in 2019 yeah. right it's like <laughs> We had to wait 30 years for for our team to win, and then the league, you know, ends because of COVID. It's like, wow. Um, but, uh, you know, another thing that's, you know, been talked about, I'm sure you guys have heard, this uh, potential XFL merger, maybe 2022-2023. What do you think about that? Uh, Brett, what do you think about the XFL? Is there any positives that you can see? I, I don't know. I, I, I really hope it doesn't happen. I think the, the way the Canadian game is played, it's played like that for a reason. It's unique and it's special to Canadians. And so I, I really just see that as a, it's just a way to try to bring in some funds and, yeah. and kind of finance the year and look at, it's just them looking at different alternatives to bring in money so that the league can stay and then be sustainable, I, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't think there's much of a, benefit i think changing and altering the rules is gonna it's it's yeah i don't think it's for the best i don't think it's for the better i don't think it's some things improve the game but i don't think the way that the xfl has done in previous years especially the nfl and uh trying to adapt and change the rules like it's it's been a really short stint uh, kind of flash in the pan and then it's gone so i i i don't want to have it i would not like to have it come in and do the same sort of thing for the cfl game 
full honesty here, like the last time the XFL played, I actually kind of enjoyed their season. I watched most of the games. Obviously, it's a time where there wasn't football, so it was something good to watch. And the football wasn't terrible. It was decently exciting and interesting, and some players ended up making NFL rosters after that. But I, I'm with you in terms of like, just I don't want to lose our Canadian game and our culture and everything that, you know, is ingrained in, in the Canadian game. Big, big challenge for Canadian kids coming out of uh, universities and to try to uh, make it on a, uh, a CFL roster. Yeah. I think, I think in that, that goes back to the uniqueness uh, of the league, as you were saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's just going to be a bad trickle-down effect to grassroots football. So I'm not a big fan. How about you, Isabel? Do you have a different perspective on this? No, not really. Like at first I was like, oh, this like cool opportunity. But then I, yeah, I started thinking about it and we could potentially lose our Canadian game. And that's definitely not something that I'd say most Canadians want to do. We want to keep our three down. We want to be different from the States and keep our differences. And yeah, no, I don't, I don't think, especially if it was just for like financial reasons, I definitely don't think it's something we want to do. Yeah, hopefully the government can maybe back us a little bit and provide some money to help the CFL just kind of get afloat for the season rather than us needing to partner with somebody. But, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, it's it's kind of too early to tell, and it's all speculative at this point. So I sh- maybe I shouldn't be stressing out about it at this point. But uh, anyways, here, guys, we're getting to the end, and I want to ask you, Isabel, I'll start with you. Who is your favorite football player of all time and why? There's a couple. So obviously um like a big Pats fan so watching Tom Brady all the time and not just only for his play but also for his just like the way he deals with like he comes to the football game and it's straight business he it's he's never talking about what he did on the weekend on the sidelines which is a very big pet peeve of mine (laughs) like when we're at football we talk football and he just he has never lost confidence in himself like he was a six round draft pick and he told the Pats that I'm the best decision that you have ever made. And as much as I try and be confident with myself, I definitely try and reflect that. And um, he's definitely one of them. Another a Winnipeg guy. Um, I didn't grow up watching him, but Greg Battle from the Bombers has been someone okay. that my dad, when I first started playing football, my dad would talk to me about him. I was almost like him um, where the undersized linebacker and I definitely took that as like kind of like my underdog story almost that I like I'm an undersized linebacker like I am only five three and I took that and I ran with it and I definitely think my dad talking to me about a pro football player kind of being the underdog and being undersized um yeah and I definitely think I wanted to be that I wanted to be fine I'm undersized I can't help that I can't get taller but I can help with being aggressive and if I need to run through a brick wall then that's what I got to (laughs) do Fair enough. So is that why you wear number 34? That I started with 34. Definitely one of the reasons. In elementary school, I remember writing a paper about Greg Battle and about how me and him were so similar. And then I went up to 36 just because it was close to 34. Because okay, <laughs> I couldn't get 34 when I moved up to the Fearless. But, um, but I definitely got 34 because of him, yeah. Oh, very cool. I like how you talk about Brady, again, the mindset, right? Same kind of idea what you're yeah. talking about coming off the injury. So just comparing kind of, you know, how he is to, uh, you know, a little bit of taking that on in your own game. So I really like that. Brett, how about you? Who is your favorite player of all time and why? I got a couple, but I think I'd have to go with uh, Brian Dawkins. And as a Cowboys fan, it's kind of contradictory because he's, you know, played for the Eagles the majority of his career. I just liked him just because of the tenacity he played with. And uh, 
he, you know, the weapon X kind of mantra that he had that as soon as he got on the field, like it, he was just transformed to a totally different person. He, he was, he was, uh, just some of the hits that he had and the way that he played, he just, he didn't care. Like, he didn't care. I think Roy Williams would have been another uh, uh, Cowboys strong safety back in the early 2000s. Yeah, he was similar, similar playing style to Brian Dawkins. And that's how, uh, growing up, how I wanted to model myself uh, athletically and uh, demeanor-wise uh, when I played the game. Oh, those are two great choices. I, you know, it's unfortunate that our game has changed so much that guys like that, you know, can't even really play the game that way anymore, right? Which, that's uh, yeah. yeah, kind of terrible. But uh, I, I get, I get the player safety. But come on, like, yeah, Brian I, Dawkins you know, laying somebody up was uh, was pretty exciting football. So it's refreshing coming from an offensive coach to hear that. <laughs> well, yeah, you know what I mean. Like, I don't know. I guess there's so many benefits now with with the rules to offense. But at the, at the same point, we're just like. I'm an old school guy. Obviously, I played my football in the late '90s, early 2000s, and it was smash mouth and real football. And that's what actually I, I like that about coaching high school and coaching, you know, football locally here is that it's still real football for the most part, right? It's not overran by all these rules and flags and sideline reports and you know replays and all that extra crap. Like it's real football on the field. So, uh, but yeah, again, great, great choices with that, guys. Uh, I want to thank you guys for being on the podcast today uh appreciate talking football with you uh learn for me to learn about women's football and you guys experiences playing and coaching is cool uh isabel i wish you nothing but the best no thank you <laughs> best of luck for this upcoming year hopefully you can ball out and play full season have lots of fun and you know that's that's awesome and uh brett hopefully we're able to get back on the field in some capacity in the near future and uh, i'm sure i'll be coaching against you in the fall so again guys i hope you enjoyed the podcast today yeah no thanks for having us really enjoyed it Thank you very much. I appreciate it. No problem. All right. You guys take care and have a good night.